Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone and is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Christine Telford, Managing Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I am your host. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of The Current Podcast. I'm really excited. I've got my friend Phil Cox here. Phil is a nationally renowned political operative, having served in a variety of roles, but more recently, he is co-founder and partner at 50 State, a bipartisan state-focused government and public affairs firm, as well as a former executive director of the Republican Governors Association. So we're really excited to have Phil on with us today. So thanks, Phil, for joining us. It's great to be here, Christine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about Election Day. I understand there were some surprises. So can you just give our listeners a broad overview of what happened on election night? Yeah. Look, midterms are generally pretty bad for the party in power. In this case, that's the Democrats, obviously. And, you know, since World War II, the average loss for the party is 27 seats in the House of Representatives. If the president is under 50, it's 37 seats. And Biden, by most accounts, was in the low 40s, 42, 43 percent job approval rating going into election day. The the political environment really put Democrats at a disadvantage. Two-thirds of voters thought the country was moving in the wrong direction. When you ask specifically about the economy, it was closer to 75, 80 percent that thought we were on the wrong track. And again, the president's job approval rating well under 50. That tends to be a pretty poisonous cocktail for the party in power, but it really didn't end up that way. Independents in particular who disapproved of Biden ultimately also did not trust what Republicans in many places were offering. And I think the Democrats focus on their closing message on democracy and abortion. And plus the fact that President Trump really popped his head up and injected himself into these campaigns coming down the stretch really hurt Republicans. I also thought Republicans, Christine, were going to have an issue advantage. If you just looked at the issue matrix, most voters cited the economy, inflation as number one issue. Uh, Crime was a close second in a lot of states. But Ultimately, it really didn't look that way. The late deciders broke to the Democrats. Again, Trump injecting himself helped energize the Democratic base. I will say that incumbents fared pretty well across the board. Those who had their own brands fared well. And the result is on the House, Republicans will control the U.S. House, but by much tighter margins than folks expected. And on the Senate side, we have three states that are yet to be determined. Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Georgia heading to a December 6th runoff. We definitely had some missed opportunities in some states, Pennsylvania being one that's sort of top of mind that we probably could have won that had the primaries shaken out a little bit differently. And then on the governor front, there's probably not much change. We went in with 28. That's one Maryland and Massachusetts, Republicans down to 26. And we'll have to see what happens in Arizona and Nevada. We can talk about that a little bit, but I think we end up in that 25 to 27 range. So certainly no national wave. There were some state-by-state waves on both sides. Democrats in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota, governors and governor candidates performed really well, winning by close to double digits or double digits in those states and also flipping state houses. And then on the Republican side, you have places like Ohio, Iowa, and and Florida, where I was involved in the governor's race down there, where obviously Republican governors performed well. A little bit of a mixed bag, but Democrats definitely performed on election day. 
Great overview, Phil. Yes, sounds like lots of surprises there. Maybe if you could just delve a little bit more into that. In terms of Georgia, I would give the Republicans a very slight advantage on the runoff. I think the reason I say that, Christine, is just because there was a libertarian candidate that got 80,000 votes in the general election on the ballot. And the vast majority of those, assuming they show up, are going to go to Walker. But obviously, it's going to be really close. And there's going to be a ton of money spent over the course of the next 28 days, whatever. 27 days. And I think you're going to see a lot of the national committees, I think, are going to invest a lot in the ground game. You're going to see a lot of people canvassing, knocking on doors, paid canvassers from all over the country descending on Georgia because there's been so much money spent on the air in that state. The candidates are pretty well defined at this point. And there'll still be a lot of TV ads, but I think you're going to see a lot of money on both sides being spent on the ground. So we'll see how that goes, but we've got another three and a half weeks on that one. Okay. Like you said, poor Georgians have to stick this out a little while longer. Let's talk about governor's races. I know you mentioned Florida, but can you give us Florida and otherwise other highlights of governor's races from around the country? Sure. Yeah. And I've been working for DeSantis for the last couple of years. Very proud of the team down there. Our campaign manager, Janera Peck, just total rock star and we built a really good team down there and we executed. Governor won by nearly 20 points, bring Rubio to a very healthy 16 point win. He won Hispanics, he won women, he won Miami-Dade County, he won 62 of 67 counties. Very importantly for the House, we picked up four congressional seats down there. And Governor DeSantis now has a super majority in the legislature. When we look at the Hispanic vote in Florida, he not only won South Florida, where we have a lot of Cuban Americans who have traditionally leaned more Republican, but also on Hispanics on the I-4 corridor, which where you have a lot of folks that we've had a harder time competing for in previous cycles, more traditionally Democratic voters like Puerto Ricans. I think it shows what happens when you govern, when you lead, and he's certainly done that. Other states, I mentioned, again, we had not a national wave, but in, in certain Republican and Democratic states, you had many wave elections, right? Iowa, Kim Reynolds won by 19 or 20 points and flipped the AG's race. Ohio won, wins by 25 or 26, and that Senate race was critical for us, and we won the Senate race by six or seven points. Georgia, Governor Kemp wins by seven, and that's the reason Walker's in the ballgame. I don't think anybody would argue that. Same thing on the other side. Kratz in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer wins by 10. They flip both houses of the legislature there. In Pennsylvania, Shapiro wins by, I think, 14. Certainly helps Chatterman, and I think they're likely to flip the Pennsylvania House there. In Minnesota, the governor won by eight. They flipped the Senate. They now have full control, trifecta there. Well, places like Maine with Mills and Kansas with Kelly, they were two competitive states, two governors that had their own brands and accomplishments and both performed well. Those were a lot of the states that were competitive. I'm happy to talk about any others, but I think that's probably a pretty good overview. Yeah, no, that that is a great overview, Phil. And I want to backtrack to something you said earlier about candidates who established their own brand and who were successful. And the two I that really come to mind for me are Governor Sununu and Governor Kemp, two candidates who just really, like you said, had their own brand and found success. Is that something that candidates, Republican or Democrat, should think about moving forward as we see how the Trump endorsement, I guess, affects electoral outcomes? Yeah, look, the best thing you can do is govern well. Right. You say what you're going to do and then you go do it. DeSantis, a great example of that from education to the environment, to workforce, to public safety. Going down the line, he said he was going to do something and he went ahead and he did it. And the voters reward him and not just 
Republicans. There was credible Republican turnout in Florida, but also independents and, and even Democrats. And so I think Sununu and Kemp are very similar. They both governed well. Sununu has a brand unto himself. He's obviously got a family name that's very well known in the state. He, I think he has to, yeah, he's up every couple of years. So he's getting used to this by now. And then he's got a good job approval, good image. Kemp, total rock star. He slayed the dragon in the primary. He was obviously toe-to-toe with Trump and overcame that. And he did it because he governed well. And people looked at him and he was strong. He didn't back down. That's what folks want. And the byproduct of that is he was rewarded not only by Republicans, but also by by independent swing voters. Voters are looking for that. It is about the issues. It's about delivering on policy, but it's also about just being strong and saying what you mean. And that kind of strong leader label that we always look at in, in polling, it's it's something that matters to people. I run into people in Florida all the time. They're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I don't agree with everything the governor does from a policy perspective, but I like the fact that he, he shoots straight and he doesn't back down. He's a strong leader. And I think a lot of these governors that perform well share some of those same traits. Great. Let's turn back to state legislatures. You mentioned a couple of them. Any notable outcomes there? I think you mentioned Michigan. Then folks should know as far as state legislative changes. Sure. Yeah. Flip both houses. Whitmer's strong performance winning by, I think, 10. Flip both houses in Michigan. Minnesota, Waltz was able to perform well. That was for a period of time there in October. I know the national Republicans were taking a look at that governor's race. I don't think they ever really engaged. It's probably a good idea since he won by eight, uh, but they were able to flip the Senate in Minnesota. And there's now a Democratic control of all three branches. Pennsylvania, I don't think this has been decided yet, but what I'm hearing is that the Pennsylvania House is likely to go Democrat. Colorado, New Mexico, Maine, trifecta is defended on the Democratic side. Florida, Governor DeSantis now has a supermajority on the Republican side. We can talk a little bit about what that might mean for, for 24, but I think, again, some of these states that were trending Republican have gotten more Republican, and some of these states that were trending Democrat have gotten more Democrat, and it's impacting the down ticket races in the state legislature. Good to know. Very interesting. Let's flip back to the federal side. What does all this mean? What do the election outcomes mean for the Biden administration and the president's priorities moving forward? Well, look, I think the big picture here is it's going to be a much smaller, slimmer majority for Speaker McCarthy. And I think that means in a weird way that more things are probably going to get done, right? I think the omnibus spending, uh, the CR expires December 16th, and they're going to have to pass a spending bill. And I think they'll have the ability to do that, right? The defense authorization, the NDAA, I think that'll wrap up when Congress returns. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes under that. Hurricane relief, Ukraine aid bill, maybe some stuff that looks at at China, Huawei sort of initiative. I think there's more likelihood that we could actually see more things get done, not only between now and the end of the year, but maybe even next year where coalitions can form. On the flip side, you have a Republican House. And there's going to be investigations and hearings on Hunter Biden. There's probably going to be a push for impeachment. It wouldn't surprise me at all. There'll probably be some wrangling over the debt ceiling, but I think ultimately it probably gets raised. Hopefully we can avoid the government shutdown. But I think generally speaking, because of that more narrow majority, and we have to wait and see what happens in the Senate, but more narrow majority in the House, I think you, you may see more things get done, particularly between now and the end of the year. Great. So still some exciting things to come, it sounds like, here in D.C. All right. Last question for you, Phil. 
And I feel like you're uniquely to answer this, given your work this past cycle. Any of the outcomes from this week, a predictor of what might happen in 2024? I mean, I think the main thing is that former President Trump had a really bad night, right, on the Republican side. And it's hard for him to spin his way out of it. He, a lot of his, a lot of the candidates that he supported lost. And I think what we're seeing is for the first time, a majority Republican primary voters looking for somebody else. Republican voters want to win. And I think for the first time they're concerned, maybe he's not the guy to do it. Right. I think he was hurt by Tuesday. He lost in 20, a number of his candidates lost in 22. And so I think that momentum away from him will continue. It's interesting on the Democratic side, I would assume Biden runs. I don't pretend to be a, an expert on Democratic primary politics, but there's a handful of folks who I think if he doesn't run, who coming out of election night this week, who I think are going to get a second look uh, or new new look from Democratic primary voters. I put Gretchen Whitmer in that category. Gina Raimondo obviously is been making some waves. Buttigieg just talked about, you got Newsom in California and Pritzker, obviously. And then of course we get to the vice president almost as an afterthought. But so, I mean, there's a bench there on the democratic side that you got to keep an eye on. Great. I think we're probably going to need you to come back on this podcast, Phil, in 2024 to see where we land. But thank you again for joining us. It was an exciting election night, again, with lots of surprises. So we appreciate you taking the time as you're reeling the aftermath of electoral results. So thank you, Phil, for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some sleep tonight. <laughs>